WNRI's Upfront. The opinions expressed represent those only of the panel and callers and do not reflect the views of WNRI and its owners. Telephone lines are now open at 7690600. And now, let's join the Upfront panel. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Upfront program here on WNRI. Roger Bouchard here every day. And uh, we, um, I invite you to call in if you want to call in. Yesterday, we had um, Alan Waters running for uh, Congress in the 1st Congressional District, facing off with David Cicilline in November. And uh, Alan uh, covered a whole bunch of topics. A couple of the topics that Alan covered we'll uh, cover today with our, uh, with our guest as we um, move into the election season here in uh, northern Rhode Island. And uh, that means that uh, we'll be uh, chatting with uh, some of the candidates who are uh, running for, uh, for office. And uh, that's exactly what we're going to do at today's program. And uh, we uh, welcome uh, to Winsocket and to our WNRI microphones, um, Ashley Callis, who's uh, running for governor of the state of Rhode Island. Hi, how are you doing today? Hi, thank you for having me. Nice to uh, have you here in the studio. I was watching your video uh, uh, on your website uh, the other day, and uh, I thought maybe uh, just taking the first part of that video, uh, a lot of... Um, our uh, candidates, I, I think of uh, one of the candidates running for Congress, uh, comes from uh, what I would call a, um, uh, a background uh, where uh, he didn't have to worry about uh, his uh, next meal or anything like that. But your early life and upbringing um, was uh, a little bit uh, different from uh, maybe uh, traditionally the rest of the people uh, on the ballot. So I thought maybe you could open up, uh, Ashley, by uh, telling us who you are and uh, how it was in those uh, early days. Yeah, so um, I, I can tell you a bit about my upbringing. I come from a working family that didn't have anything. Um, my parents um, went through a vitriolic divorce, and I think that it impacted me uh, in my early childhood. And then also, you know, those things that happen in your early childhood also impact you uh, as you get older as well. So um, my mother lived on a sailboat. Uh, and then built a business uh, that ended up going public. But before she uh, built her business and turned into a success story, um, we struggled. And as a little kid, you don't really always know that you're struggling, um, but you do remember parts of your childhood, um, especially my mom working a lot uh, and being worried. And then also when my parents got divorced, it was really difficult um, for us as well. And, you know, I often talk about education being the path, and it was that for my mother. She ended up getting a training in physical therapy. Uh, she had an associate's degree, and that was the basis of her business. She had a physical therapy uh, staffing business. So she was her first employee. Uh, she provided the temporary staffing to the hospitals, and then eventually she had a, a bunch of other uh, women and, and men working for her um, and, and built her business. So I think that impacted me. Um, it showed me sort of a, a path uh, out of poverty and hardship through hard work. Uh, and um, it also showed the value of education. Without that, at that time it was an associate's degree, I believe. Without that associate's degree, I'm not really sure what she would have done. Um, but it was uh, good for our family. Also, there are challenges when you do make money and you don't have a model um, of uh, what to do, financial literacy. Uh, you don't always know what to do with it, right? Uh, so that is also a lesson I, I took out of it is the ability to build generational wealth. Um, I don't necessarily think that that happened because things were up and down for my, for my family for a while. Um, but the priority of my mother, uh, as soon as she was able to, and even before she was able to, was education. So we moved to a place where there were good schools. And she, uh, I'm not sure how she afforded to do that because she was going through a divorce. But she made sure that we moved to the best school district we could move to in order to provide an education for her children. And what about your life uh, today? Uh, your family life is uh, pretty different um uh, as a married person uh, than it was um, when you were a child, huh? It is, it is. I would say, you know, um, my husband, um, so my husband trained at Brown, and he is the son of a Holocaust survivor. So our childhoods were different, but similar in that his 
uh, his family didn't come from anything either. And the only thing that his parents cared about, it was education because that was their path out. So he ended up um, getting into Bronx science and also being able to go from there to Columbia and other, other universities and eventually trained at Brown in surgery. Uh, but uh, we really wanted to be in Rhode Island, but we couldn't stay because we had student loans. So even though both of us were able to work hard, uh, we weren't able to stay in Rhode Island because we had $250,000 in student loans. So we had to leave for opportunity. Uh, unfortunately, that's a story in Rhode Island that I hear a lot that kids just feel that they can't stay here. I personally know what that's like. We had to move and we moved. We did well. We worked really hard. And only through that were we able to, to come back. I'm going to uh, get into one of the issues, uh, and you kind of like uh, led me into it further down the list. Uh, but uh, you said uh, your mother identified good schools to go to. And uh, so you're doing an interview in a city, uh, Woonsocket, Rhode Island, uh, which um, I'm unfortunate uh, our schools are not ranked uh, too high. Our graduation uh, rates are low. And... Um, and I don't know if uh, of a governor uh, wants to uh, and can actually change uh, the, the landscape of things. Uh, you know what the Providence schools are like and, uh, and public education. So I was wondering if you could take this very broad topic of education in Rhode Island and uh, maybe put it into perspective. And uh, uh, it could be a good enough topic to, to get you elected if uh, your answer is uh, satisfactory. Well, I've said I... I will be the education governor. And as you know from what I'm saying, it's deeply personal to me. I actually uh, was a failing student in high school. Um, some of the stuff from my childhood probably followed me. and um, But for a Department of Education official's decision to uh, allow me to attend college during high school, I do not believe I would have graduated high school. So that version of a school choice likely saved the future. Um, the way that we uh, fund and deal with education in the state needs, needs to change. And I'll talk about how to do that. Uh, we need to have high standards and we need to pay our teachers more. Uh, we need to level the playing field. We need to close gaps. The right to a quality education uh, must be a constitutional right. And we also need to be flexible and understand that one size doesn't fit all. You know, right now, we of our $13 billion budget, we spend 27% on education. And unfortunately, in places like Winsocket, Pawtucket, and Central Falls, um, we still have some of the lowest per pupil funding. So those children are being left behind. And that's what I'm talking about when we talk about leveling the playing field in terms of funding perspective. So we really do need to take these, these steps. We need to decide as a state to become number one um, in the nation for education. And that is a question of political will. We, we can do it. If we look at Massachusetts, Massachusetts has done it. It's a model of uh, a turnaround. And that's what we need in this state is a turnaround. Ashley, uh, as far as funding is concerned, our, our candidate yesterday, Alan Waters, when he was here, he was saying uh, that um, we have a lot of public education dollars out there. But uh, he would be comfortable seeing some of those uh, those dollars going for choice, meaning uh, that a parent in here in Woonsocket could take their kid out of uh, Woonsocket Public Schools and put them in our Catholic regional school system and have taxpayer money fund that. Are you strictly for using uh, our uh, education funds for the public school system, or would you uh, believe in freedom of choice? So when we talk about funding and education, uh, we need to talk about value for our dollar, right? Right now, we have, I believe it's the ninth per capita spending, um, and we're not delivering uh, what we should in terms of uh, educational results. I believe that if your child is trapped in a failing school, you should be able to take your child to a public school of your choice. So I do believe in public school choice. And during COVID, uh you uh, you probably saw that uh, a lot of kids were doing uh, virtual. Uh, everybody was doing virtual learning, and there was a a loss uh, that uh, children experienced uh, during the the pandemic. We've had the superintendent of schools here on the program, the chairman of the school committee. We've poured millions of dollars into uh, trying to catch kids up with education. I was just wondering, um, since you've been involved in the vaccination and 
and uh, testing business. Uh, you've seen the pandemic uh, uh, first firsthand. Uh, what do we do with those uh, kids? Can we make can we make up lost time for uh, children that lost a year and a half to two years? We need to make up lost time, and I can say as um, a working mom, COVID was hard. I uh, had to leave my children when they needed me the most to navigate the challenges of remote learning. So I know how hard it is. Um, I, I had to leave my children, and instead of uh, being able to learn remotely because I had to go to work, they played Roblox, right? I just I couldn't do both things. I needed to be a healthcare provider. I needed to go to work, um, and that meant that my children struggled uh, with remote learning. You know, if you're a working parent, I'll say I see you, and I promise that we will find a way to return to normalcy and learn to live with COVID responsibly. We, the only way to make up time is with time, and that is the way that we're going to need to close gaps, but we need to be deeply committed to doing that. You're on the Upfront program on WNRI, and uh, we are talking to one of the candidates for governor. And uh, what's going to happen uh, in September has nothing to do with uh, Ashley's appearance here, because uh, right now... Uh, you don't have to deal with a primary. Uh, happy, happy you. <laughs> However, there are a number of Democrats that do, and uh, Dan McKee um, may survive that primary in uh, September. And if he does, sitting on the uh, ballot uh, when I go to vote would be um, Ashley. Uh, is it Callis or Kalis? Kalis. I'm sorry, um, Ashley Kalis. And, and Dan McKee. So uh, I want to bring uh, him into the picture. Um, first of all, uh, there is an investigation going on with the governor uh, that uh, nobody talked about at the forum the other day. Um, maybe that was an inappropriate place. And, and secondly, I think a lot of people are really uh, PO'd with uh, the governor about, uh, about awarding all these bonuses, including judge bonuses that... Uh, are for people who uh, kind of helped out during the pandemic, yet uh, they're guaranteed uh, their uh, their salary for life. Are my, you going to take on the governor at all? My workers, in terms of DTC, they helped during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And they didn't get bonuses. They were outside in the rain helping test individuals, and they didn't get bonuses. So Florida gave first responders bonuses but the bonuses that were given out by the governor were to people with lifetime jobs that um you know judges i find it incredibly inappropriate and disrespectful to frontline workers who risk their lives the real heroes um are healthcare workers first responders those are the individuals who should have received bonuses i found i found that from the governor completely unacceptable and what about his um, investigations going on? Again, um, the reason I'm bringing this up is that nobody said anything to him in an open forum yet. Uh, well, there's only been one uh, about about this. And is this something that is going to surface um, between September and November if, in fact, he survives a primary? Or he's or under what? he's under FBI investigation. That's yes. happening now. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of bringing it up in a forum, I mean, he knows he's under FBI investigation. You know, everybody knows. Mm -hmm. I don't know what there is to say about it other than, um, you know, play by the rules. There is a, I have a respect for the office. Um, and, you know, I also respect the fact that the investigation needs to happen and there's due process. Um, but I find uh, some of the conduct uh, from the governor um, concerning. We're going to take a break. We have commercials to do. And uh, we have to pay the bills at WNRI. We're going to do that right now. When we come back, um, a little bit of a format that we follow. We let, uh, instead of our guest uh, getting questions from us, we're going to let the guest bring up one of the topics that he or she wants to bring up. Because sometimes in these interviews, our guests walk out of the studio and say, well, why didn't he bring this topic up? This is what, this is important. You have a topic to bring up when we get back from the break. Let's check in. Do you want to make a difference? 
If you're a man 18 years of age and older and Catholic, consider becoming a member of the Knights of Columbus. Our local council, Woonsocket Council 113, and other councils throughout the state are looking for new members to join. Becoming a Knights of Columbus can transform your life. As a knight, you have the opportunity to support your parish, give back to your community, grow in your faith, and protect your family in times of need. If you'd like to join, go to kofc.org slash join us and fill in the information. Put your faith into action. Become a member of the Knights of Columbus. Seven-day-a-week dining at Grumpy's. Quality dining, casual dining. Remember, we have luncheons Monday through Friday, starting at noontime, $5.99 and up. And then Monday through Thursday, our $10 dinner special starting at 4 p.m. You might find baked manicotti on the menu, or honey jack chicken, or our special oven-baked meatloaf. Monday through Thursday, $10 dinner special starting at 4 at Grumpy's. Or you can select from our regular menu with so many choices. And our kitchen is open on Friday and Saturday night till midnight for your convenience. So, for quality dining, come on into Grumpy's Restaurant, holding our prices during these inflationary times. Pulaski Boulevard, South Bellingham, Massachusetts. All right, I wanted to mention, uh, talking about Grumpy's, the advertisement we just did. I was there yesterday with my wife and uh, enjoyed the uh, Grumpy's luncheon menu, including their fried clam plate if you like fried clams. And incidentally, I want to mention that uh, starting Sunday, it's uh, Quahog Week in Rhode Island, so uh, a lot of the restaurants will be featuring uh, items made with uh, Rhode Island clams. But anyway, the um, the clam plate is fourteen ninety nine, and there's a generous portion of clams on the clam plate. Uh, and so, check out the luncheon menu. I have it in hand right now, including uh, for five ninety nine a meatball parmesan sandwich with French fries. You can't beat those luncheon menu prices at Grumpy's of Bellingham. And also, my wife uh, went with the Reuben sandwich off the regular menu, one of her favorites. Grumpy's open seven days a week, and don't forget. Monday through Thursday, the $10 dinner specials starting at 4 in the afternoon. This is the Upfront program. A couple of more quick messages, and then we'll get back to our uh, interview with uh, candidate for Governor Ashley uh, Kalis on WNRI. Champs Liquors for Keyway. 481 Clinton Street, Woonsocket, still featuring flip-flop wines. A California winery that has crafted a variety of wines that are fun, fruit-flavored, with amazing taste. Listen to what we have. Two bottles of flip-flop wine for $10, including Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Pink Moscato, regular Moscato, Chardonnay, and Pinot Grigio. Again, two bottles for $10 mix and match. And on newest wine edition comes from Italy. Check out the Stella Rosa collection. It's a semi-sweet wine offered in a variety of tastes, including peach, blackberry, blueberry, watermelon, and green apple, to mention a few, and affordably priced at $11.99 or $12.99. Goes well with a wide range of appetizers, entrees, and desserts. And yes, we continue the best price in town on Bud or Bud Light or Open Daily. 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. For a great selection of beer and wine and spirits. You can count on Champs Liquors, 481 Clinton Street. Kayer Kosher, your accounting, financial planning, tax preparation, and business consulting services of Woonsocket and Warwick. 600 Cass Avenue, Woonsocket, Jefferson Boulevard, and Warwick. Call us locally at 766-8100. Remember, outside of the tax season, we do planning for business, individuals, and families. We're Kayer Kosher. We're certified public accountants. Again, our local number, 766-8100. And remember, having Kayer Kosher to consult with on your personal financial situation is like having all the right answers. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. Okay, we're back on the Upfront program for this uh, Wednesday. Next Wednesday, uh, Mayor Lisa Baldelli-Hunt will be on our program. And uh, we'll be talking about uh, city issues. There's plenty of them going around. She's running for uh, re-election. She doesn't have any opponent so far. Here it is, uh, mid-May almost. And on Tuesday's program, Council President Dan Gendron will be uh, visiting with us. And we'll be talking about local items. Right now we're talking about statewide issues. Uh, and uh, when you go to your uh, polling place here in Woonsocket or Cumberland or Lincoln or, uh, or Boroughville um, or where North Smithfield, you will uh, see... Um, 
Ashley uh, Kalis on the ballot. She's running for governor, and uh, she's in studio, and we're talking about the issues of the day. I promised before we took the break that I'd let you bring up whatever you wanted to talk about for a few seconds, and we'll get back to my list of questions. And even uh, we had a question from one of our listeners uh, that we're going to ask you about, too. So uh, what's on your, uh, your mind, your topic? I mean, education is always on my mind. The three things that I worry about, it's education, reforming education, and then also making Rhode Island more competitive. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, before us lies the challenge of the next half century, and we need a leader with gigantic aspirations, with an agenda so bold. It's an economic agenda so bold that it taps into the hearts and dreams of all Rhode Islanders. You know, first... As I've said, we need to provide a world-class education to all students, no matter their zip code. Uh, If we have the brain power, companies will want to be here. Second, we need a more competitive business environment. We must stop bribing businesses to come here and instead create the environment to which they can be here. Third, we need to leverage our assets. We have everything. We are the gateway to New England. Uh, we have interstate railway, an international airport, deep water ports, 400 miles of coastline. If we do those things, companies will want to come here and the great companies that we have will be able to remain. And then fourth, we need to be great at something. Massachusetts has biopharma, Connecticut has insurance, and New York has finance. This, if we have the political will, this could be a time of unparalleled success for Rhode Island. Well, all those things that you'd mentioned we have right now, we've got them. All, all the, you know, the deep water ports. We've got, yes. uh, we've, got um, we've got the trains going through, uh, the airport uh, now uh, with uh, nonstops to L.A. and so forth. Why isn't it happening now? We are not leveraging our assets. I mean, we have everything in this state. And we can't do it because we're not competitive. And that is what we, we need to change. We need to have a better business environment. You know, I am speaking to so many business owners. I um, mean, right now it's a tough time. I spoke to a coffee shop owner. Um, he has multiple locations. And he had to shut down his original location, not because it wasn't successful, but because he couldn't find people to work in locations um, at his location. Also, I was at Angelo's on the Hill. Uh, and the owner is a fourth-generation business owner. She, uh, she said to change items to market price on her menu that she traditionally never changed to market price because she cannot predict the price of food. You know, we as a state, if we want to talk about right now, we have funds that should be used um, to invest in our future. But we also need to look at the fact that with a $13 billion budget, we have a $215 million deficit that's projected in 2024. That's something that we shouldn't go away from or, or stop looking at. We need to look at our future. The only way for us to address that is through, through growth. The only way that we can do that is, is having a more competitive business environment. You know, COVID crushed small businesses while big box businesses were able to stay open. And I say, if, you know, if you, you know, if you um, ask your dog to fetch every day while you're also uh, hitting it with a newspaper, eventually your dog's going to run away. And that's what we're doing with businesses is that businesses and people are leaving. And small businesses make up 98% of the businesses in the state and employ over 200,000 people. We need a governor and somebody that is going to support businesses and create the environment for growth. You talked about leverage. Uh, Does that mean that uh, when uh, Ashley is elected uh, governor of the state of Rhode Island, it's the Ashley Roadshow? I mean, uh, you have to, because you've got to bring that message to, uh, to the companies that are going to, as you want, relocate here but but uh, somebody's got got a knock on their door and say rhode island's got it and i'm here to tell you about it rhode island does have it and i will tell everybody about it we, i will also work with folks in rhode island to make sure that we are more competitive we need to do that so that if we have a competitive business environment if we make some changes in terms of taxes and regulations so that we're competitive regionally businesses will want to come here and i will be happy to go and bring them here but we have work to do. So you got the work to do before you go on the road. <laughs> no, I can I, I can do both things at the same time, right? I can do both things at the same time. You uh, referenced, and it was um, uh, something that really has uh, bothered me. You mentioned uh, Rhode Island uh, will be ha- having a projected deficit yeah. in 2024. You know that here in 2022, uh, about 
most of the politicians, that's all they're interested in is the November 2022 elections. They don't talk about 2024. But you mentioned the projected deficit. We've got the stimulus money um, that, that's sitting uh, here in Woonsocket. Uh, to be spent and sitting in budgets across the state to be spent. We've got state money waiting to be spent. How well have we done with spending this uh, stimulus uh, money that uh, that just flowed into Rhode Island? Uh, I, you know, from a layman's point of view, I think we've done a lousy job. Yeah, just generally, we don't have a revenue problem. We have a spending problem in the state overall. And so the money, uh, so two things. Uh, one, we need to spend the money that we have. We need to invest it. It is an investment in our future. And so we cannot spend the money on one-time fixes or programs that are not funded in the future. Um, we need to invest in education, first off. We also need to make sure that we have a competitive business environment, and we also need to invest in affordable housing. We need to ensure that the money that we invest has a return. We need to look at... Uh, uh, you know, outcomes of the programs. We need to ensure that the programs that we invest in are actually going to deliver value. That is is something that needs to happen. And we can't lose sight of the future. You know, you need a leader that isn't just looking at the money that we have for programs now without looking at the deficit that we have in the future. You need to be able to do both things. But this money that we have is an investment in Rhode Island's future, and it needs to be treated that way. And if we're investing in the future, we need to make sure that we're going to get a return. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Rhode Island, and we need to treat it like that, which means we need to be very respectful of the money that we have and ensure that it delivers value to Rhode Islanders. And we've not done that in the past. A little bit of audience feedback uh, coming up in the next part of the program. Um, so we had an email. Uh, I showed it to you already from Tim from Lincoln. Uh, Tim's a regular, uh, I guess you'd say, contributor to the program. So it's not like a setup question from the outsides. I can assure you about that. It says, uh, hi, Ashley. 25 states currently recognize constitutional carry rights, including three New England states, <clears throat> Vermont, Maine, and New Hampshire. Do you support Rhode Island, the 26th state, to grant uh, constitutional carry from Tim? And I'll just add uh, to uh, the background here. The Second Amendment uh, has often been talked about um, on the program. Mr. Waters talked about it yesterday when he was here. And we have a contingent that often goes to the state house to... Uh, try to protect uh, Second Amendment rights uh, uh, in the uh, legislature. So uh, it is a Rhode Island question. I don't know if you've given it much thought, but Tim wants to know. Yes. Yeah, so, no, I believe that you should apply for concealed carry permits. I support the Second Amendment. I do not believe that we need additional laws in Rhode Island. I believe that we need to... Um, you know, enforce the laws that we have. I don't think that we need anything else. We have some of the strictest gun laws in the country, and uh, I think that we need to focus on ensuring that uh, you know we're not letting you know, criminals or violent criminals out on bail. I think that we also need to focus on the root causes of crime, which is you know we need to have a mental health agenda. We need to keep communities safe. I'm going to do one more uh, question on my thing, and then we have some listener comment uh, coming in, so we'll be talking to a few listeners. I uh, do this program every day uh, from 6 to 9. I do this talk show 8 to 9, so I'm in a coffee shop at 8, 5 o'clock in the morning. It is a very local coffee shop. It kind of gives me uh, a good feeling for uh, what people are thinking about at the coffee shop level, right? And uh, one guy was complaining about uh, filling up his uh, diesel truck uh, that he has to drive over $6 a gallon. And uh, then uh, the owner of the coffee shop was telling me about uh, paying over $1,000 just to fill her oil tank at her coffee shop. Well, anyway, it's the rising cost of gas, food, and clothing. And I'm trying to figure out whether a gubernatorial candidate, other than maybe... Uh, cutting the gasoline sales tax in Rhode Island, whether a gubernatorial candidate can do anything about a crisis that was caused by um, Joe Biden and then other people try to blame Mr. Putin for it. So well, what do you think? Can the cost of gas, food, or heating be any way controlled by Governor uh, Kalis? 
So working families, we're just getting crushed, right? Parents um, are making uh, difficult decisions. Going to work, filling your gas up, uh, your tank up with gas. Um, it is a really difficult time. I think suspending the gas tax, I don't know why we haven't done it yet. That would be a, a good first step. Gas taxes hurt working families uh, the most because they're flat taxes, right? So they're regressive in nature. Uh, so that's something that, that we can do. We need to give working families a break. No, the long-term answer is is uh, growth and to have a competitive business environment so that we can um, compete. But in the short term, I don't know why we wouldn't do things that would give breaks to working families. So suspending the gas tax is something that would do that immediately. It would be immediate relief. That's what we need. We need immediate relief. We need somebody to just step in and do something to help. It hasn't happened yet. No, it hasn't happened. <laughs> Would you put on those earphones that we have in the studio? And um, to our callers who are calling in, uh, let's keep it uh, as quick as we can here and uh, see uh, what uh, the uh, candidate for governor has to say. So what do you uh, want to ask uh, Ashley this morning? Good afternoon yep. uh, or good morning, I should say, Ms. Yep. Ellis. So I'm going to ask a question here. And this, this is... This topic's definitely been covered on this show, but mm-hmm. since since you're new to the show, or, or I don't know if you're brand new to the show, but you know I do want to talk about it. But it was the fact that I know Roger, you're going to know what I'm talking about, but it's the the doubling the state income tax and the fifty dollar a month fine for people who did not get vaccinated. Now it's dead. I know it's dead. Senator Rogerio uh, killed it, I believe. But the fact something like that got introduced in the first place. Um, you know, again, if you want to, if you want to take poor and minority communities and absolutely drop them to their knees, this was the way to do it: doubling their income. Because again, let's face it: most of the unvaccinated, not most of the unvaccinated, but a lot of the unvaccinated people look, come from poor communities. This was by design meant to, again, it dropped them to their knees and just have almost total dominance over these poor communities. Now we all know this; everybody knows that what this was. It was about control. It had nothing to do with public safety. What do you think about this bill? Would you have, uh, you know, what would you, if you were governor and a piece of garbage like that was even, the fact that it was even introduced, I'll let you take it from here. Thank yeah, you. hey, thank you for your question. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that was a terrible bill. I can tell you what my feeling is, is that I believe in choice, not mandates. And that is something that, um, that that bill isn't about. It's not about choice. People can make decisions uh, about health care. And as a health care provider, I believed in informed consent and choice. So generally, I do not believe in mandates. I believe in choice. And you, uh, as you just said, you were, uh, are, you, are you still in the industry uh, that uh, no, uh, vaccinations I had to, and tests? No, I am. I am only focused mm-hmm. on becoming the next governor of Rhode Island. So I've had to step away from, from everything, right. which is worth it. I'm happy to do that. And I think it is a fair question uh, uh, to you in particular uh, about uh, looking at how vaccines and uh, tests were administered and the whole COVID, um, shall we say, the whole COVID direction uh, here in the state of Rhode Island. Uh, did, did we do a good job uh, handling COVID or uh, mediocre or, or you don't want to get into it? <laughs> I can get into it. Get into it. Um, <laughs> so, listen, at the beginning, I was involved at the very beginning of the response. Everybody was doing the best that they could do. We didn't have all the information. So it's really easy to look back at the beginning and say, oh, you made the wrong wrong decision. That's that's not fair in a lot of ways. However, we should have moved to an endemic response sooner in Rhode Island. Um, COVID is here to stay. And uh, we did not accept that reality uh, soon enough. And that hurt children. That hurt businesses. And so... Really, uh, in terms of at the beginning, you have to give everybody grace because we didn't know what we were dealing with and uh, everybody was doing the best they could. Um, and uh, healthcare workers were happy to put their lives on the line and uh, try to work in ambiguity, which is also what leaders do. But at some point, you have to look at data and you have to make decisions and you have to be honest uh, and intellectually honest with your with yourself and so i do believe we should have moved an endemic response sooner 
I think what we measure matters, and we really should have looked at the metrics and what we were measuring um, in a different way. And other states did move to an endemic response sooner, and uh, they're doing better in terms of their economy. They supported businesses. Kids were back in school. Uh, and so... You know, I think that at a certain point, Rhode Island really should have changed direction, and we were slow. Ashley, since you were in the business of vaccinations and testing, uh, and you were here, uh, your presence was here even in Woonsocket at Thundermist yeah. on Clinton Street. Uh, so I think it's fair to ask you in particular, because you were, quote-unquote, sort of in the business, uh, whether and we're just getting ready to start a Department of Health ad um, next week on boosters. So, where did you uh, stand, and where do you stand on the whole thing of uh, of boosters right now to uh, to uh, control uh, the uh, COVID? Because you said it's still with us, and I got the feeling you think it's going to be with us. Uh, for uh, a long time it yes it is going to be with us for a long time that's the truth it's covid's not going away so we need to learn to live with covid and return to normalcy that's where we're at now so in terms of boosters hey if you want a booster get a booster i'm about choice if if that's something that you want to do speak to your doctor that's a personal health care decision make a decision with your health care provider and then you know do what you think is best for you do you so do you advocate yourself, though? I know you're not a doctor, but do you advocate the booster? Yeah, I'm not a doctor. I don't know everybody's health. Yeah, I don't know if somebody has an Well, you know, the question is going to ask, do you, do you have a booster? I I received a, uh, the booster. I, follow, I mean, yeah, that's mm -hmm. I'm not it's not recommended for me to have another one at this mm -hmm. point yet. Yeah. Um, but I did. I, if you're asking if I'm vaccinated, I was vaccinated and I had the booster. Yeah, that's what I was asking. Yeah, yeah. Right. And that was a personal decision right. for me. Just because I make a healthcare decision doesn't mean that I want to right. push that decision on someone else. That's also a decision between a patient and their physician. You get asked those kind of questions if you're running for governor. Yeah. And probably worse questions, too. We'll find out. Yeah. Let's take another call. Hello there. What do you want to uh, ask of uh, Ashley today? Good morning. Um, first of all, I appreciate the station having you because we're getting to know you and what you believe in. Okay. Uh, quickly. Secondly, we keep talking about education. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I feel the strongest school systems have the strongest involvement with parents. In the inner city, which I saw for many years, you did not have that. You call the house, they see at school, they don't answer. So what can we do to engage these families? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Appreciate so, it. Thank you so much. Uh, so I, I believe in parental involvement in education. If we look at what worked in terms of education reform, one of the key uh, points in Massachusetts was in ensuring that on a school level, parents were invited and um, welcome to participate um, in, in the school community. It, it was central to education reform, and, and parents should uh, be involved. Now, in terms of allowing for involvement, I'm a working parent. I, I want to be involved, but we also have to make it so it's possible for parents to be involved. And so just generally, we need to do better at making it so that working uh, parents can participate. If you schedule something at two in the afternoon and I was in the OR. I just couldn't go. Even though I wanted to, I just couldn't be there. And that was horrible because I wanted to be involved in my children's education. I want to be involved. But we need to also make sure that when we're structuring parental involvement, it means parental involvement for working families as well. And so it's about scheduling. It's about access. It's about transparency. If we're doing those things, that is something that we need to do if we say we want parental involvement. We need to make sure that uh, parents that have to work and that do work still have an opportunity to get involved. And I think that we can do better. It is very hard to show up at 1 p.m. I can't leave my patients in the OR. And I still want to be involved in my children's education. So we need to make it so that all parents can be involved and they're welcome. Another phone call and another question. Uh, what do you want to ask uh, Ashley Kalis this morning? Hello. Yes what, do you, yes, what do you think about lowering our energy costs by using advanced nuclear power? With the proper technology, we could recycle nuclear waste from other states and charge them to that, sell the electricity to other states, 
and make America the France of America, uh, make Rhode Island the France of America. France has been doing this in Europe with great success. Why not reproduce this here and make us the number one advanced nuclear state in America? All right. Appreciate that. Nuclear power. And uh, I, uh, this is a caller, has called a few times before, and uh, that seems to be his, uh, his slant on things. Uh, and, of course, nuclear power is being used all over the world, but it's taboo in the U.S. Ashley? Right. So, I'm, listen, I'm about things that work um, and that uh, bring us toward energy independence. Uh, so, whatever we can do to be more competitive to lower energy costs, uh, I I would look at it uh, as a state, as governor. I'm you know limited in what we can do in terms of energy independence as, as a nation, but in terms of uh, creating competition and ensuring it, we should do that in energy because energy it's a utility market. I'm an economist by uh, by training, and it's a natural monopoly. So we need to make sure that we uh, are competitive and that we're protecting consumers in terms of pricing. Emailer uh, on uh, the abortion issue. Uh, hey, Booch. That's what some people call me. When okay. Right. <laughs> that's uh, nice. All right. Hey, Booch. Ask your guest her position on the abortion issue regarding the Supreme Court. Is Rhode Island's abortion law a good or bad thing? And, you know, when we have candidates here, uh, you know, uh, some of them are running for federal office. Like yesterday, uh Mr. Waters is running for a federal position, congressman from the state of Rhode Island. Uh, you're running for the, uh, in the executive branch, running for a state office. So sometimes is the abortion issue a federal issue or a local? Well, it's both. It's a federal issue uh, coming up, um, maybe, from the Supreme Court. And here in Rhode Island, the Rhode Island legislature puts its nose into these matters. So uh, it's a state issue. So as governor, you better address it. You're on. Well, so let's be really clear about this, is that the right to an abortion was codified in state law in 2019. So if Roe v. Wade is overturned, nothing changes for Rhode Islanders. I think it's important that leaders are honest. Uh, and I think that, that, that is, that's the truth. My personal position is that I'm uh, pro-life, but that doesn't change the fact that the right to an abortion was codified in state law. Fair enough. Yes, and, and I think you put it best uh, if no matter what happens in Washington, uh, uh, it stays the same in Rhode Island. Right, and I think that um, that it's important that we're just very clear with individuals, right? Honest. That, uh, you know, not... We, we need to make statements that are truthful and based in fact. And the fact is that the right to abortion is codified in state law. So no matter all of the sort of noise around this, and I understand it, it's for federally, but I'm focused on Rhode Island and being um, the governor of Rhode Island. And I'm focused on this next phone call. Your question for uh, Ashley here on WNRI. First of all, Mr. Waters was very, very kind to you yesterday. Yeah, he endorsed um, you. My question yes. is, do you support driver's licenses for people who have come here illegally? Oh, thank good you. question. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, that's uh, Governor Baker of uh, Massachusetts is trying to uh, uh, make sure that that doesn't happen. But it looks like they're headed that way. It looks like we're headed well, that way. Yeah. So I was actually just going to talk about that. So if we can find um, a way... Uh, to do this safely and in a secure manner, I would look into it. And Governor Baker actually is moving that way. And so we may want to look at that model where the source documentation is, is valid and has legitimacy. So I would look at that and also look to Massachusetts in that case as they're heading in that direction. And they seem to be doing so in a way that maintains security. That's always my concern is uh, keeping Rhode Islanders safe. The issue, I think, uh, though, is whether these um, uh, driver's licenses turn into automatic um, automatic voting privileges, um, which um, uh, I think some Rhode Islanders would feel um, a person who is uh, in the country illegally, even though they have a legitimate Rhode Island license, shouldn't be allowed at the polls. And I think uh, one of your uh, candidates for governor is a big, big, big advocate of uh, 
of this uh, topic. Well, that would be one of the things related to security, right? Is that people... Well, well you said security. I did hear the word security, but I, I didn't hear it uh, talk, hear you talk about security in the voting uh, roles. Right. I mean, well, maybe we, that's what you're talking about. Well, no, I well, both. Right. Is that we need to make sure that if we're giving, uh, you know, if we're providing licenses, that we have proper source documentation and that uh, the licenses aren't used uh, for something that they shouldn't be used for. So that that would be something that we would need to look into and consider. The security of an election um is part of the foundations of democracy. So we need to have free and fair elections that people feel are secure. We need to have a few commercials. The go-to place for authentic Italian dining is Savini's Pomodoro Italian Kitchen and Bar. Over 20 Italian dishes made to order from our menu or experience our Sicilian-style pizza. Build your own while you choose from your veggies, meats, and cheeses. And, of course, our traditional family-style chicken dinner is offered every day. Savini's Pomodoro on Rathbun Street with affordable accommodations for weddings, birthdays, anniversaries, and business meetings. Close Mondays open Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 4, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays at noon. For reservations, call 762-5114. That's 762-5114. Savini's Pomodoro Italian Kitchen and Bar, 476 Rathbun Street, Woonsocket. Inviting you to join us at our family-owned businesses, Savini's or Ciro's. Perfect for any event. Soup and salad bar now available, and Papa Savini's famous roasted chicken and noodle soup, also available by the 32-ounce jar to take home at Savini's Pomodoro. All right, one of our great restaurants here in town. And uh, right now we're going to talk about the Honey Shop, which is on uh, Park Avenue here in Woonsocket, 1300 Park Avenue to uh, be exact. And um, we are going to mention uh, the classes that they have upcoming. And they have all kinds of uh, workshops. And first of all, uh, coming up in June is uh, the beer-making class, June 5th and June 12th. Your chance to uh, learn how to make your own India Pale Ale at home. And they'll be making five gallons of beer, and uh, the participants will split it up. And it's uh, a beginner's class in beer-making. How about wine-making? We'll show you how to do it at the Honey Shop. In the month of June, we have classes coming up in strawberry wine-making. And then in the month of July, when the blueberries come in, it's blueberry wine making. And then blackberry and conquered grapes as the seasons move along. Make your own wine at the honey shop with our uh, very, very small classes. Usually these classes are under a dozen people. Kathy and Paul invite you to visit. We're the home of gourmet foods, health foods, natural remedies, and for those low-carbohydrate people, keto foods. We have all the uh, baking mixes and all the things so that uh, when your uh, blueberry muffin comes out, instead of 34 cobs, uh, we're looking at 5 cobs. All right, so that's the Honey Shop, 1300 Park Avenue, and uh, they're open uh, every day to uh, serve you. Now, let me uh, look at my little... Um, cheat sheet here and make sure that I've caught up with all my advertisements. Uh, I am set to go. And uh, let's get back to uh, talking with Ashley. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. How you doing over there, candidate for governor? Doing well. We're good, doing well. All right. Uh, you want to take a few more calls? Sure, yeah. let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Uh, what would you like to ask the candidate for governor, Ashley yeah, Kalis? Morning. I was taking some notes, and so far I heard this morning is that the uh, the candidate wants more money for teachers, not in favor of constitutional carry, gutter clot shot and booster, the carpetbagger that just recently moved back here, avoided the abortion question, failed to throw the governor under the bus on the FBI probe, and my question is, is, were you recruited by the DNC to come back to Rhode Island and run here as a candidate? So it sounds like you like me, huh? I um, so right. here, He can be a no, jerk no, no, It's okay. It's okay. Listen, you don't, it's fine. Listen, uh, you can't make everybody happy. Uh, and I will say that the reason that I am running for governor is because this is a once-in-a-lifetime chance to hit the reset button for Rhode Island. And it is going to take an outsider to do it. 
we need change. And he sounds frustrated, too. I'm frustrated. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's frustrated. Let's take another call. Hello there. Welcome to the program. Hello. Good morning, and thank you. Uh, You know, Ashley, I I had heard a little bit of a replay on uh, John DePietro's show, and what you just said was something that had sparked my, uh, you know, brain cells uh, back then. And you mentioned hit the reset. That, to me... Did you know that Glenn Beck talks about the Great Reset? And that is really a Democrat party, not Democratic. The Democrat Party's proposal to change our way of life in the Constitution. So, you know, that, if you could speak to that. And also, um, I'm a Ph.D. in educational leadership. And so the thing that I want to know is you throw in a lot of generalities as far as improving education. We've had that for years now. And I'd like to hear something specific and uh, perhaps you can inform us of exactly what you'd like to see as an improvement. Because everything we've thrown money at before has sunk to the bottom of the ocean. Fair enough. Thank you. Go ahead, Ashley. So, you know, under each statement we have policies when we even talk about leveling the playing field that has to do with how we fund schools uh how we make sure that we support schools and funding uh so that places like winsocket central falls um and Pawtucket aren't having the lowest per pupil funding uh, because of property tax rates. So it's having the state come in and level the playing field. So for all of the policy statements that I make underneath it, there are specific uh, policy sort of directives that come with that. Uh, I would say that the easiest way to look at where I'd like to go is look at where we are right now compared to where Massachusetts is and look at the difference. So RIPEC did a report 2016. It's been a while, but not a lot has changed in terms of what the difference is between here um, and Massachusetts. And like I've said, Massachusetts needs to be the model because that was a turnaround. She mentioned the word reset, reset, reset. Uh, I, I think she, I, I got the sense from from her question that uh, the term was un... Um, she didn't like the term, you using the term reset. What, I like, mean... We can use whatever term that we want. This is an opportunity for Rhode Island. We are first in, last out of recessions. We have not leveraged our assets. We are a great state. And we've been through a terrible time with COVID. We are coming out now. And we can either uh, build on our strengths or focus on our failures. So this is a really, this is a time where... There should be political will after everything that everybody's been through to make a change and to decide that as a state we're going to do something different. So that's what I mean is that we have, we have funding to invest in our future. Let's do it in a wise and responsible way. We have been through something collectively in Rhode Island that has been terrible. It's been terrible for children. It's been terrible for businesses. We are coming out of that. What have we learned and how can we move towards the future? That's what I'm saying. Whatever word, whether you don't like the word reset or another word that I use, this is a time where we can make a decision to have different leadership and to do things differently. We must reject the same old uh, politicians and insiders that have held the state behind kept us behind we need to do something different for the future of the state we need to do something different we're done out of time um next uh gubernatorial candidate coming in is uh, nelly gobier she'll be here we've talked to her a bunch of times uh in other capacities uh, when she was a candidate for secretary of state when she was and is secretary of state and this time, we'll find out uh, whether she wants to press the reset button, too. Hey, thanks for being with us. And uh, we'll see you around maybe uh, another time before Election Day. Absolutely. Huh? Thank you for having me. Thank you. And good day from the Upfront program. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you. This has been WNRI's Upfront, presented weekday mornings at 8 a.m. Upfront is a regular public affairs presentation of News Talk 1380, WNRI Socket.